Rookwood, Chapter One, Book Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Paul Curran. Rookwood by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book Two The Sexton. Duchess, thou art very plain. Bosola, my trade is to flatter the dead, not the living. I am a tomb-maker. Webster. Chapter One The Storm. Come, list and hark, the bell doth toll for some but now departing soul. And was not that some ominous fowl? The bat, the night-crow, or screech-owl? To these I hear the wild wolf howl, In this dark night that seems to scowl, And these my black books shall enroll. For hark, still hark, the bell doth toll, For some but new departed soul. Haywood, Rape of Lucretia The night was wild, and stormy. The day had been sultry, with a lurid, metallic-looking sky, hanging like a vast galvanic plate over the face of nature. As evening drew on, everything betokened the coming tempest. Unerring indications of its approach were noted by the weather-wise at the hall. The swallow was seen to skim the surface of the pool so closely that he ruffled its placid mirror as he passed. And then, Sharply darting round and round with twittering scream, he winged his rapid flight into his clay-built home beneath the barn eaves. The kine that had herded to the margin of the water, and sought, by splashing, to relieve themselves from the keen persecution of their myriad insect tormentors, wended stalwards, undriven and deeply lowing. The deer that at twilight had trooped thither, also for refreshment, suddenly with expanded nostrils snuffed the air, and bounded off to their coverts amidst the sheltering fern-brake. The rooks, obstreperous of wing, in crowds combined, cawed in a way that, as plainly as the words could have done, bespoke their apprehension, and were seen, some hovering and beating the air with flapping pinion, others shooting upwards in mid-space, as if to reconnoitre the weather while others again were croaking to their mates in loud discordant tone from the high branches of the lime-trees, all seemingly as anxious and as busy as mariners before a gale of wind. At sunset the hazy vapours, which had obscured the horizon throughout the day, rose up in spiral volumes, like smoke from a burning forest, and, becoming gradually condensed, assumed the form of huge billowy masses which, reflecting the sun's light, changed, as the sinking orb declined, from purple to flame-colour, and then to ashy, angry grey. Night rushed onwards, like a sable steed. There was a dead calm. The stillness was undisturbed, save by an intermittent sighing wind, which, hollow as a murmur from the grave, died as it rose. At once the grey clouds turned to an inky blackness. A single, sharp, intensely vivid flash shot from the bosom of the rack, 
sheer downwards, and struck the earth with a report like that of a piece of ordnance. In ten minutes it was the dunnest night, and a rattling thunderstorm. The progress of the storm was watched with infinite apprehension by the crowd of tenantry assembled in the great hall, and loud and frequent were the ejaculations uttered as each succeeding peal burst over their heads. There was, however, one amongst the assemblage who seemed to enjoy the uproar. A kindred excitement appeared to blaze in his glances as he looked upon the storm without. This was Peter Bradley. He stood close by the window, and shaded not his eyes even before the fiercest flashes. A grin of unnatural exhilaration played upon his features, and he seemed to exult in, and to court, the tempestuous horrors, which affected the most hardy amongst his companions with consternation, and made all shrink, trembling, into the recesses of the room. Peter's conduct was not unobserved, nor his reputation for unholy dealing forgotten. To some, he was almost as much an object of dread as the storm itself. "'Didst ever see the like of that?' said Farmer Burtonshaw, one of the guests, whose round, honest face good wine had recently empurpled, but fear had now mottled white, addressing a neighbour. "'Didst ever hear of any man that were a Christian laughing in the very face of a thunderstorm, with the lightning fit to put out his eyes, and the rattle above ready to break the drums of his ears?' I always thought Peter Bradley was not exactly what he ought to be, and now I'm sure on it. For my part, I think, neighbour Burtonshaw, returned the other, that this great burst of weather's all of his raising, for in all my born days I never seed such a hurly-burly, and hope never to see the like of it again. I've heard my grandfather tell of folk as could command wind and rain. Peter may have the power. We all know he can do more, nor any other man. "'We know, at all events,' replied Burtonshaw, "'that he lives like no other man, "'that he spends night after night by himself in that dreary churchyard, "'that he keeps no living thing except an old terrier dog in his crazy cottage, "'and that he never asks a body into his house from one year's end to another. "'I've never crossed his threshold these twenty years. "'But,' continued he mysteriously, I happened to pass the house one dark, dismal night, and there what dost think I seed through the window? What? What didst see? Peter Bradley, sitting with a great book open on his knees. It were a Bible, I think, and he crying like a child. Art sure of that? The tears were falling fast upon the leaves, returned Burtonshaw. But when I knocked at the door, he hastily shut up the book, and ordered me to be gone, in a surly tone, as if he were ashamed of being caught in the fact. "'I thought no tear had ever dropped from his eye,' said the other. "'Why, he laughed when his daughter Susan went off at the hall, and when she died, folk said he received hush money to say naught about it. That were a bad business, anyhow, and now that his grandson Luke be taken in the fact of housebreaking—' He minds it no more, not he, than if nothing had happened. Don't be too sure of that, replied Burtonshaw. He may be scheming some at all this time. Well, I've known Peter Bradley now these two and fifty years, and, excepting that one night, I never saw any good about him, and never heard of nobody who could tell who he be, or where he do come from. 
"'One thing's certain, at least,' replied the other farmer. "'He were never born at Rookwood. "'How he came here the devil only knows. "'Save us! What a crash! "'This storm be all of his raising, I tell ye. "'He be what he certainly will be,' interposed another speaker, in a louder tone, and with less of apprehension in his manner than his comrade, probably from his nerves being better fortified with strong liquor. "'Dost thou think, Samuel Plant, as how Providence would entrust the like him with the command of the elements? No, no, it's rank blasphemy to suppose such a thing. And I've too much of the true Catholic and apostate church about me to stand by and hear that said.' "'Maybe, then, he gets his power from the Prince of Darkness,' replied Plant. "'No man else could go on as he does. Only look at him. He seems to be watching for the thunderbout.' "'I wish he may catch it, then,' returned the other. "'That's an evil wish, Simon Toft, and thou mayst repent it.' "'Not I,' replied Toft. "'It would be a good clearance to the neighbourhood to get rid of the cold, croaking curmudgeon.' Whether or not Peter overheard the conversation, we pretend not to say. But at that moment, a blaze of lightning showed him staring fiercely at the group. "'As I live, he's overheard you, Simon,' exclaimed Plant. "'I wouldn't be in your skin for a trifle.' "'Nor I,' added Burtonshaw. "'Let him overhear me,' answered Toft. "'Who cares? He shall hear summat worth listening to. "'I'm not afraid of him or his arts, "'were they as black as Beezlebooth's own. "'And to show you I'm not, "'I'll go and have a crack at him on the spot. "'Thou art a fool for thy pains, "'if thou dost, friend Toft,' returned Plant. "'That's all I can say. "'Be advised by me, and stay here.' seconded Burton Shaw, endeavouring to hold him back. But Toft would not be advised. Kings may be blessed, but he was glorious o'er the ills of life victorious. Staggering up to Peter, he laid a hard grasp upon his shoulder, and thus forcibly soliciting his attention, burst into a loud, hoarse laugh. But Peter was, or affected to be, too much occupied to look at him. "'What dost see, man?' that thou starest so it comes it comes the rain the rain a torrent a deluge ha blessed is the corpse the rain rains on sir piers may be drenched through his leaden covering by such a downfall as that splash splash fire and water and thunder all together is not that fine ha the heavens will weep for him though friends shed not a tear when did a man's great heir feel sympathy for his sire's decease? When did his widow mourn? When doth any man regret his fellow? Never! He rejoiceth! He maketh glad in his inmost heart. He cannot help it. It is nature. We all pray for, we all delight in each other's destruction. Were we created to do so, or why else should we act thus? I never wept for any man's death, but I have often laughed. Natural sympathy, out on the phrase! the distant heavens, the senseless trees, the impenetrable stones, shall regret you more that man shall bewail your death with more sincerity. Aye, tis well, rain on, splash, splash, it will cool the hell-fever. Down, down, buckets and pails, ha There was a pause, during which the sexton, almost exhausted by the frenzy in which he had suffered himself to be involved, seemed insensible to all around him. "'I tell you what,' said Burton Shorty Plant, "'I've always thought there was more in Peter Bradley nor appears on the outside. 
He's not what he seems to be, take my word on it. Lord love you, do you think a man such as he pretends he could talk in that sort of way? About natural simpering? No such thing. When Peter recovered, his insane merriment broke out afresh, having only acquired fury by the pause. Look out! Look out! cried he. Hark to the thunder, list to the rain. Mark ye that flash, mark ye the clock-house, and the bird upon the roof. "'Tis the rook, the great bird of the house, that hath borne away the soul of the departed. "'There, there, can you not see it? "'It sits and croaks through the storm and rain, and never heeds all. "'And wherefore should it heed? "'See, it flaps its broad black wings. "'It croaks! "'Ha! Ah, "'It comes! "'It comes!' "'And, driven, it might be, by the terror of the storm, "'from more secure quarters, "'a bird at this instant was dashed against the window "'and fell to the ground.' "'That's a call,' continued Peter. "'It will be over soon, and we must set out. "'The deed will not need to tarry. "'Look at that trail of fire along the avenue. "'Dost see yon line of sparkles like a rocket's tail? "'That's the path the corpse will take. "'Sir Hermes flickering fire, "'robbing good fellows dancing light, "'or the blue flame of the corpse candle, "'which I saw flitting to the churchyard last week, "'was not so pretty a sight. <laughs> "'You asked me for a song a moment ago.' "'You shall have one now, without asking.' "'And without waiting to consult the inclinations of his comrades, "'Peter broke into the following wild strain, "'with all the fervour of a half-crazed improvisatore. "'The corpse candle. "'Lambert flamma et circumfuneria pasci, "'though the midnight gloom did a pale blue light, "'to the churchyard murk wing its lonesome flight, "'thrice it floated those old walls round,' Thrice it paused, till the grave it found. Over the grass-green sod it glanced, Over the fresh-turned earth it danced, Like a torch in the night-breeds quivering. Never was seen so gay a thing, Never was seen so blithe a sight, As the midnight dance of that blue light. Now what of that pale blue flame dost know? Canst tell where it comes from, or where it will go? Is it the soul ceased from the clay, Over the earth that it takes away, And tarries a moment in mirth, and glee where the course it hath quitted interred shall be or is it the trick of some fanciful sprite that taketh immortal mischance to-night and marketh the road the coffin shall go and the spot where the dead shall be soon laid low ask him who can answer these questions aright i know not the cause of that pale blue light i can't say i like thy song master peter said toft as the sexton finished his stave but if thou didst see a corpse candle, as thou callest thy pale blue flame, whose death doth it betoken, eh? Thine own, returned Peter, sharply. Mine? Thou lying old cheat, dost dare to say that to my face? Why, I'm as hale and hearty as ever a man in the house. Dost think there's no life and vigour in this arm, thou drivelling old dotard? Upon which Toft seized Peter by the throat, with an energy that, but for the timely intervention of the company who rushed to his assistance, the prophet might himself have anticipated the doom he prognosticated. Released from the grasp of Toft, who was held back by the bystanders, Peter again broke forth into his eldridge laugh, and, staring right into the face of his adversary, with eyes glistening and hands uplifted, as if in the act of calling down an imprecation on his head, he screamed in a shrill and discordant voice, 
So you will not take my warning. You revile me. You flout me. Tis well. Your fate shall prove a warning to all unbelievers. They shall remember this night, though you will not. Fool! Fool! Your doom has long been sealed. I saw your wraith choose out its last lodgment on Halloween. I know the spot. Your grave is dug already. Ha! And, with renewed laughter, Peter rushed out of the room. "'Did I not caution thee not to provoke him, friend Toft?' said Plant. "'It's all ill-playing with edge-tools, but don't let him fly off in that tantrum. "'One of ye, go after him.' "'That will I,' replied Burtonshaw, and he departed in search of the sexton. "'I'd advise thee to make it up with Peter so soon as thou canst, neighbour,' continued Plant. "'He's a bad friend, but a worse enemy.' "'Why, what harm can he do me?' returned Toft, who, however, was not without some misgivings. "'If I must die, I can't help it. I shall go none the sooner for him, even if he speak the truth, which I don't think he do. And if I must, I shan't go unprepared. Only I think as how, if it pleased Providence, I could have wished to keep my old missus company some few years longer, and see those bits of lasses mine grow up into women, and respectably provided for. But his will be done.' I shan't leave him quite penniless, and there's one eye, at least I'm sure, won't be dry at my departure. Here the stout heart of Toft gave way, and he shed some few natural tears, which, however, he speedily brushed away. I'll tell you what, neighbours, continued he, I think we may all as well be thinking of going to our own homes, for, to my mind, we shan't never reach the churchyard to-night. That you never will, exclaimed a voice behind him and Toft, turning round, again met the glance of Peter. "'Come, come, Master Peter,' cried the good-natured farmer. "'This be ugly jesting. Ax pardon for my share of it. Sorry for what I did. So give us thy hand, man, and think no more about it.' Peter extended his claw, and the parties were, apparently, once more upon terms of friendship. End of chapter 1, book 2